0: Love Talk Radio.
1: not like slasher movies. I like the kinds of monster movies where the monster is big and giant and destroys a city and it's big and it's fun and Michael Bay. I don't like chainsaws and I don't like gloves with knives. I don't like them, Sam, I am. And yet, a man spoke to me and he said, enough with your Rocky and your Spider-Mans and your this and your that and your Marvel Comics. You need to watch a movie. It's cocky and in nature. You need to watch a movie that redefines the horror genre. My friend, I have things to yell and scream about. But first, we must talk about the good stuff, and the good stuff is paranormal activity one and two. My friends, welcome to The Long Road to Ruin. I am, of course, your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm looking over my shoulder because I'm scared to death Toby's going to get me. There's demons, demons everywhere. I hear them in the house. Mark Radelich. And, of course, the man with the plan, the man who has now cost me sleep, the man who now owes me a lifetime supply of Xanax. Here he is, folks, my good buddy. From the 411 Music Zone, 3R's Sean Comer. What up, son?
2: Well, Mark, it's irresponsible how I'm breaking you, so I'm sorry, Miss Jackson, but fuck two, we're reigning three like John Paxson. Winfrey, Rodelich, Comer, just what the hell do we think we're doing? We are just paranormal tripping down the long road to ruin. Very nice. That was well done. Oh, thank you.
1: <laughs> What's Lambert, going on, man? Lambert swears I write these. And are are you just going full on uh, off the cuff? You know what?
2: It's uh, it's funny. This was actually the first time in a couple of weeks I've been doing this, just having fun with this. That I've actually been this rushed to come up with one, because um, I was actually working on a little, a little special Valentine for somebody down the street, and I realized I had to hustle it home for the podcast, and so I just put my headphones on for a little bit on the way back, and um, it just. It just kinda of came to me. It, Indeed. It just, yeah, it just just came to me right came to me right there. It took a couple of minutes and quite proud of that John Paxson reference, although <laughs> damn, here I am broadcasting from the undisclosed location of the Sean Cave here in Phoenix and I just referenced the ninety three finals.
0: JP <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you know, folks, Sean and I have way too much energy. We are the axe and smash of podcasts. We're just going to demolish this shit, and somebody's got to rein us in. Somebody's got to. Uh, just bring it all together and say, hey, you two, stay on, stay on the beaten path. Don't go this way and that way. And that man is a sp- special guest that I've brought on to this show. Talk about Paranormal Activity 1 and talk about Paranormal Activity 2. Here he is from the MMA zone of 411mania.com. He writes Locked in the Guillotine on Fridays. He brings it all home for the MMA news each week. My good friend, Robert E.R. Winfrey. How you doing, Robert?
3: Not too bad though. I am a little surprised you were that freaked out by these movies. And I'm sorry I don't have a little rhyme for you, but I'm almost as white as Jeremy Lambert, so I don't have anything.
1: Your whole uh, gimmick, Robert, should be like Sam the Eagle. You should totally play up the Sam the Eagle thing like, you know, you have Lam- you have Jeremy, me, and Sean and all these people with these very vivid personalities, and your whole thing should just be you are
2: all weirdos. I can do that. <laughs> you know what i I can't speak for what our for what our listenership is around the rest of uh four one one mania, but I'm noticing that with the requests we're getting to do guest spots on movies we're- we're developing one hell of a fan base amongst our peers mark
0: yes
1: fastest growing podcast on 411mania.com. mania dot com we have very little
3: competition, but that's
1: besides the point. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, like, you well, have
1: to I'm,
3: further qualify it. It's the fastest-growing podcast in the movie zone. That way you know you're 100% right.
2: That's right. Yeah, you know what? Um, I'm not – yeah, because you got to remember, um, if you say fastest on 411 Mania, we have to stack that up against the half-dozen-some podcasts that Lambert does every week. This is true.
0: It's,
2: All right, I'm listen. Well, I don't
3: know. Me, Are those really growing, stagnating, shrinking? I <laughs> don't
1: <laughs> For the ADHD diagnosed, let's get on with this podcast, shall we? Now listen. At the top, at the top of this thing, I said we were going to be talking about the Paranormal Activity franchise: the good, the bad, the ugly, and the oh shit, it's Toby. Now listen. Tonight we're going to do one and two, and we're doing one and two uh, separately because the Paranormal Activity podcast. Uh, very different from the actual structure of the movie, sorry, the Paranormal Activity franchise, very, normal from, very different from the Paranormal Activity movie, where the uh, the movies build and build and build and crescendo when blammo, it's all over. Um, the, the franchise itself peaked and then took a sharp dive into the gutter with the, with the last two movies. And so it's two very different experiences. One and two, very good. Three and four, oy ve is me. So tonight we're gonna to focus on the good and then come back in two weeks and we're gonna attack the bad all right so that's where we are for <laughs> yes sean sean has Sean has said now listen, I got things to say i i, I have i have to exercise my own demon in uh, the to deal with this thing, and so we're gonna we're gonna do that in time Folks, all right you so. have
2: I mean, you have to understand from the time we actually started this podcast, this was one that I knew. I knew we were going to get to because, actually, my initial plan was I wanted to do, actually, 411s first, to my knowledge, full-on video vlog reviewing Paranormal Activity 4 right after I went to see it. Unfortunately, some shit hit the fan personally, and I didn't really feel like being funny on camera, <laughs> Uh So that kind of got put off and put off and put off, and then I just realized, well, you know what? I eventually want to talk Mark into tackling a horror franchise or two. So I'm going to start him off light, as opposed to my initial plan that I said, I want to do Hellraiser.
3: Um, Yeah, I'm down for that. Screw Mark, we'll get Joseph Lee on this, and the three of us can do it.
2: Oh, boy. That's how it started. (laughs) Yeah, but, um, you know, Mark, I'll kind of gauge it after we get – after we get both episodes of the podcast done, but now um, I'm backing slowly away from introducing you to Pinhead. <laughs> okay, let,
1: let me, me back um, him
3: slowly. He should be running screaming.
1: Let me let <laughs> me set this up. I am not such a complete pansy that 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 you know every horror movie scares me senseless, and and, and that's what it, and it's a good place to start with paranormal activity because um, as you know, when I was younger. Uh, my exposure to horror movies were the slasher flicks, you know, April Fool's Day, Friday the Thirteenth. Um, a Nightmare on Elm Street is probably the one that I'm most familiar with. Freddy Krueger is in uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street series are probably the movies that I saw the most, um, as for in, in terms of the amount of movies in a franchise. And uh, the Krueger movies were more gross than anything else. The other thing of it, the other thing of it is, is um, While I'm not a fan of gross, I can deal with it in small doses. So, you know, seeing severed limbs and and, and blood all over the place, uh, as long as you break the tension and you go to something else and you come back to gross, I can deal with it. I could at least cover my eyes enough. What was fascinating to me about the Paranormal Paranormal Activity movie, the first one, when Sean... Pitched it to me. He said, "Listen, if you don't like gross and you don't like monsters and all of that, um, you're, I think you'll enjoy Paranormal Activity because it's a very different horror movie." And so, let me go back a step. Uh, of course, Paranormal Activity is one of these found footage movies, and then, to me, I think it almost redefined uh, that style of movie making, um, which goes back to a movie called The Blair Witch Project. And I'm going mm-hmm. go, go to go—I'm going to go you guys in just a second on this, but wait, wait, I. Uh, what-
2: May may I make a small little uh, pedantic correction there? Sure. Uh, If you really want to go back far enough, um, I think the first found footage movie to even predate the Blair Witch Project is actually uh, a very notorious movie called Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, It
3: wasn't the only one. There's a couple of others that fall into that same gross, exploitative type of genre well, that... There were actually well, a couple before Cannibal Holocaust, but that okay, was... Okay, but the which one of these
1: movies, though, was the, was the commercial success of the Blair Witch Project was? And that's kind no, of what but, I'm taking a statement
2: but, on. Well, and that's my point. The Blair Witch Project was the one that really pioneered taking the whole based-on-true-events thing and really, really running with it in the direction that it did. And yes, it was also the one that pioneered being that commercially successful that being said it is kind of the uh, it's kind of the wrestlemania one of the entire genre yeah. um it was the one that broke the ground it was the one that was the make it or break it experiment and it and it broke right through despite being far from perfect and being a movie that like the entire paranormal activity franchise people love it or hate it they yeah. either they either saw paranormal activity and couldn't say enough about what an intense, well-executed throwback it was to simpler days of suspense, especially for the for the incredibly low budget, low low budget, small crew, small cast, small set type that it was, um, or they saw it and really their expectations had just been built so high by years of the evolution of horror as opposed to suspense that they just weren't intimidated by it. So well, there's Horror is a lot like rock and roll.
1: You know, horror has this thing where it starts off as a very very basic thing and then it it gets blown up and blown up and suddenly you've got the arena rock version of of horror movies which is you know your later Friday the 13th and your later Nightmare on Elm Street and your Candyman and your child's play and you know the monsters are ridiculous the gore is ridiculous um, and horror because the element that makes horror successful is what it does to your mind, and and I keep going back to that. I'm playing a lot on it, but it's very real. Horror isn't effective unless it does really freak you out, more so than seeing something that's gross. is It makes you believe that some of this shit might actually be real when you damn well know it isn't. And that's what makes horror successful, in my opinion. What the Blair Witch Project did was, it, it, you know, like I said, it follows the same cycle as rock and roll. Rock and roll blows up and becomes journey, and then, bam, you know, it, you know we go back to basics and you get nirvana. You know, Blair Witch, the Blair Witch Project was the nirvana of, of
3: horror movies in that sense, if you oh, follow if I my tried meaning. To do something and still sucked. Ah, shut right. up, I don't you. like Nirvana. I don't like Nirvana. That's the point <laughs> insert, about that there. But.
1: Insert bare basics band here that redefines a genre. Okay, Robert.
2: right. Okay. So, so, wait, so, Robert, just so I have kind of a baseline here, are you establishing right off the bat that you fall into the hated camp of the Paranormal Activity movies?
3: Oh, not at all. I loved it. I'm just saying I he made a Nirvana reference, and I don't care for Nirvana.
0: Oh, and I'm actually okay.
3: on the – and as far as the Blair Witch Project goes, I'm kind of – I was iffy about it. when it, I was too young to really understand it when it came out, and the first time I watched it, I actually couldn't get through it. I got motion sick. Really? Which a lot of people did. From why, it, the, oh, I know what they were trying to do with the whole shaky cam thing, because it's supposed to represent someone walking along with the camera, but there was just so much shaking, I actually got motion sick. There was another movie that. And does it's to of, people, it just kind of When you're worried about vomiting, it breaks the tension. So. <laughs> See, I, thought, well, I would think it would add to
1: the tension, but what was the other movie that came out within the last year or so where people had to walk out of the theater because they were getting sick? Uh,
3: Cloverfield.
1: Okay. Cloverfield
3: yeah. had a lot of the same problem. I actually did have a problem with Cloverfield. My problem with Cloverfield when I saw it was I went to a midnight showing with a bunch of friends, and the theater thought it was a good idea to turn off the air conditioning. In a midnight
0: showing. So it was hot
3: and it was shaky cam and everything. I had a friend who got sick at it, actually. I mean, I enjoyed the movie, but.
2: So uh, just to to draw this loophole to a close here, um, uh, can I make a short technical commentary here? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Uh, Here is something that paranormal activity as a whole executed far, far, far far, far, far better in my opinion than Cloverfield, no disrespect to the great J.J. Abrams um, or the Blair Witch Project or a lot of other found footage movies. And that was the fact that it took the found footage aspect and it found ways to actually present it that was somewhat palatable, that was able to be be digested and not actually be off-putting. There was a good reason given for why you had what would become the franchise signature static camera angles of the various uh, security cameras, the automated ones, that were placed around the house. There was a good justica- justification given for that. It made sense, even when Mika was carrying around the Steadicam. Yeah, so, and we'll get to the specifics of the we'll movie, go. but it, I, I want to... Well, well, hang on. Uh, I was going to say, granted... There were the moments, as with almost any found footage movie, where, yes, the audience was asking, why in every fuck would you possibly be keeping that? Why would you just be standing there with a camera? But in this case, you actually have the characters acknowledging it and actually actually saying, you twat waffle, put the
3: goddamn camera down. (laughs) And and that actually becomes... In that same same vein... in that same vein with, uh, what was it, Grave Encounters 2, the moment when they, because the original, the first Grave Encounters is another found footage genre, which is actually really good. They did a sequel to it, and the first couple of minutes are found footage, and then they yell at the guy to put the camera down, and it goes into being a regularly presented movie, and I thought that was a very nice yeah. thing to do in there.
0: Oh
2: Yes, yes, and and everything is, it's so well, and we'll get into talking about the timing of it because that's really important to talk about in depth a little bit a little bit later. But it's something that's done. It's the art of the long tape resurrected. Is what it really is. What it really is. And, and you know, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to you, Mark. Go ahead with your with your Hitchcockian comparison because I think that's a great note to bring up. That's,
1: yes. So I started talking about sort of the structure of horror and, and where it's successful without having to get all Gallagher with the blood and guts. And, you know, you have to go back to Hitchcock. And the thing, the brilliant thing that Hitchcock does is uh, build up tension in a scene. And whether it's comedy or horror or drama, tension, you know, it, tension in the scene is, is a critical element, something that's sorely missed in a lot of movies today that focus on special effects and not, you know, story. So... The thing that drew me in. Now, again, I'm coming from the perspective of somebody who's not a huge fan of horror, and, and I want to hammer that home because this is wh- why I thought this movie was successful. This movie, because of the the one shot take, and um, you know the what people would criticize about it, the you know, the elements that, that are boring is is you're watching this static image and you're paying such very close attention to minute detail, and the detail with each passing uh, scene grows and grows and grows. And I actually want to talk in a little bit about how brilliant that is in setting up the, the, men- the menace of the demon. But, uh, what's, again, what's brilliant about the paranormal activities and why it works is its ability to slowly build tension in every scene and individually in the scene itself you know something as elementary as a door shutting by itself almost violently uh this is and i think this is like night 1 or whatever it is you know or a or a shadow uh i think in the third one the um the dust falling on uh the the um and he put flour on just, the floor and you could see the footprints that, in it. Yeah, that, things like that
2: really loved
1: um that that's that's what set up and 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 that's where one of the things that you know, we were talking about it actually before the podcast started. Was how I'm sitting there on the edge of my seat. You just like, what, what's going to happen? Uh, the second one did a really good job with that, where I didn't even notice it in the beginning with the with the pool and the uh, the pool cleaner. So, yeah.
3: so that's you know, at they kind of beat you over the head with it
1: every day yeah. when
3: they get up there. It's like, oh, the pool's out. How did it get out of there? You know, I don't but I tell Where's you what,
1: Robert, of- it took me a couple of scenes to figure out what that was. I kept watching yeah. it, and for whatever reason, I didn't make the connection until three or four t- after the third or oh, fourth. Well, I got time a kick happened. out
3: of it when he, when the dad or whatever scared everyone by having it shoot out of the water at them.
2: Oh. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was funny. I thought
3: that was great. <laughs> but but we'll you
2: know, my, yeah, but I I thought it was pretty brilliant how in each movie they really did kind of set up something thematically, repeatedly, that really kind of underscores how. God, I hate the fact that I even got to say his name for reasons that Mark and I discussed before the show. Toby. <laughs> um, that uh, that illustrate Toby's escalating boldness. Right. Um, in the first movie, what really kind of illustrates it better than anything is you have... And again, this is going to be a theme, too, is always coming back to one particular shot that you know is going to reveal something new... And you're as Mark pointed out, you're on pins and needles every time watching for it to happen. In this one, it is the static shot of the bed off to the right and the and door. Of the shot, yes, and the door. And, and the door.
1: and here's what makes this almost musical in nature and, and um what really drew me to it is again, you have your you have your your you you set up with the um with the, the credits on you know, night one and then there's a shot and you're building up the tension and then they release the tension and now you're now it's daytime and there's nothing really happening during the day yeah. um and I want to get into one. the I want to get into the two characters and some of the I mean this was by no ways perfect uh so there was some there were some flaws with this movie that I want to talk about but uh during the day, you've got them arguing, you've got them discussing, you've got you know it's 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 a doc it's a documentary or a home movie and there's no tension you know and then we're back again and then you know and so it's kind of verse chorus verse chorus and it's uh, it's like I said it's very musical in nature and it just builds and builds and builds and then blamo. and and I take it back to and so then we can move on after this that is why and I understand people some people just don't get it. But that is why paranormal activity works. And I'm going to go over to you, Robert, um, before we kind of turn the page and go on to the next thing. When you um, you said you liked the movie, and I want to hear one of the, you know, some of the stuff that you liked about it in brief. But when you hear somebody say to you, "It was so boring," or they don't, you know, or they don't understand the point of the static shot, you know, and they don't really get what the movie's about, what do you say back to them, or you know, like how do you deal with that sort of thing?
3: If you want to see your Michael Bay explosions, pointless dialogue, flat characters, nonsensical stuff, if you want something like that that is pure visual spectacle, good on you, you know, I can't, there's only so much I can say that to explain to you, you know, sit down, you know, okay, it looks like there's nothing happening, there is something happening, now find it, it's not going to, jump out in your face in the beginning. is going to try and build it organically. You're going to have to pay attention. And if that's not what you go to movies to see, if that's not what you like, so be it. You know, it's not for everybody. Horror's not for everybody. Romantic comedies aren't for everybody. I mean, you know, I don't expect everyone to agree on liking it. If someone comes to me and says, oh, it's so boring, I... Have no problem going through the different scenes with them and going, look, no, here's what's going on here. Here's, you know, explaining it to them. Whether they get it or not, I can't help. But if someone just doesn't see it at all, I don't mind explaining why it works. Just if it doesn't work for them, there's no point in arguing it.
2: May I, uh, may I, may I toss something in here, a little bit of a comparison?
1: Quick, quick, just one quick thing just to piggyback on what he said. I'm watching an episode of Suburgatory last night and, um, if you don't watch the show, there there's a star of this thing who's who's a bright sort of suburbanite, and she's dating the high school jock who's got a balloon for a brain, and uh, they go to see an indie movie, and she's sitting there going, oh my god, I'm bored. This is pretentious and stupid. Um, I can't believe I dragged him to this. He must be he must be being tortured. And she looks over at him, and he like spits popcorn out of his mouth and goes and starts to cry and goes, it's so beautiful. And in the next scene. She's like, I don't understand the point of the horse. And he goes, well, the horse means war. And so he's explaining to her the different things in the scene. She's like, oh, I guess I get it now. All right, that just reminded me of Robert and talking to various people about this. And go, Sean.
2: Well, kind of along those lines, those of you who have listened to this for a while, you know that I like to kind of uh, give my view to my fellow critics. Um, Not every thought I have is original, obviously. In this case, um, recently... I went back and got caught up on my episodes of Obscure Luba Presents on that guy with the glasses. Um, and as I've, I've mentioned a few times, I'm pretty good acquaintance at this point with um, Allison Pregler. And I went back and I watched her 100th episode show where she was talking about all the reasons why she loves Evil Dead 2. And she hit on something that is really a big point about each of these movies that raises them above a lot of others in the genre, especially Cloverfield. And that is the fact that the effects, the scares, are almost all done practical. As Robert pointed out, there is not necessarily visual spectacle. There's not a whole lot of CGI. There's not a whole lot of elaborate appliances that are spurting barrels more blood off the body than a human body is known to contain. It's done very simply, it's done very low fi, and it's what helps maintain the idea that this is something that somebody really could experience in their home in their home, something like a door shutting unexpectedly, something like something moving across the floor sliding off or sliding off the counter. It's not so glaring because it's all done. It's all done so simply. And that was what Allison was pointing out about Evil Dead too. is the fact that what makes it so much fun to watch is the fact that it's obvious that everything is actually done right there physically. It doesn't allow you so easily to remove yourself from it. So, I mean, right there, that's a whole different kind of authenticity as opposed to, again, Cloverfield wherein you've got everything else done with this jumpy, jittery handy, handy cam, but sticking right there in the middle of everything are all these spectacular uh, CGI visuals. And it just, as much as I like Cloverfield, it also kind of removes you from it, too. So, If people heard our Rocky
1: podcast, I made mention of this in the, fir- uh, in the very first one that we ever did, very first Long Road to Ruin. I love movies from the 70s. This is an era of filmmaking where directors knew how to keep the camera still, and actors knew how to be still in front of a camera and show their acting ability without being all Jim Carrey about it. And one of the things that – and this is the last point of sort of the, the model of this thing, and we'll start getting into the plot and characterization um, – Paranormal activity takes me back to that era of movie making, you know. Obviously, for the blatantly keeping a camera still—that's the gimmick, isn't it? But it's also, and this is something that, that that Robert was alluding to. It's a movie that makes you think, and there isn't a whole lot of thinking going on in the horror genre these days, unfortunately. But this is a movie that makes you think, and it plays on your psyche. More so than I think anything else in the horror genre, to my knowledge. Maybe you guys think differently on that. But it it just reminded me of that 70s style of show me, don't tell me. You know, make me, draw me into this movie. Make me a part of this world for, you know, for the 90 minutes this thing is going to go on. And, you know, give me something to take home. And that is where this was extremely effective and why... Um, it 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 will remain probably one of my favorite movies in that the craftsmanship was well done. Any
3: final points on that, guys? Um, uh, just one. If you, what to your point about you know gross out versus mood and suspension and whatnot. If you uh, Stephen King in his book Dance Macabre, which is an interesting read if you like horror, yes, uh, he
0: sure.
3: discusses what he calls the three levels as far as horror goes. You have terror, which is the highest level. It genuinely freaks you out on a deep emotional level. You have horror, which is just kind of a mix of that and the lower one. It does scare you, but it's not necessarily deeply embedded in your psyche. And the last one is, a gr- is the gross out. And In that book, he references the chestburster scene from Alien as an example of the gross out, Yeah, which yeah. it is. But the re- ironically, the rest of Alien has... Some of the other aspects of it that go much better than the chestburster sequence, but that one became the most iconic. But I agree that this is, especially as far as horror goes, because when this came out, we were in the fourth or fifth Saw, and that franchise had degenerated into nothing but torture porn. Hostel was big at the time, so getting away from just the raw blood and gore that everything was putting out there was another big selling point, at least for me. Sean? (coughs) oh
2: excuse me, wine kind of went down the wrong pipe there. Um, I think that really, uh, that that sums up a lot of it. it. It really does, especially the part about how this was really set apart from the latter-day Saw movies. And a an side thank you, by the way, for referencing that it had degenerated into Torture Born, and that's not what it had always been.
3: Oh, I love that. the first two. The first two are some of my favorite horror movies ever. I I saw the first two and everyone was like, "Oh, it's so graphic and gross." And I saw the first two and I was just like, "Well, the second one a little bit more than the first, but there wasn't a whole lot." And then you get into the third, fourth, fifth, and it's, that's all it is at that point. Like, well, now it's become what you were complaining about. It wasn't initially.
2: <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Um, but I mean, really, this is uh, this is very minimalist, and it it indeed is. It's a slow bill. and as we're going to see story-wise, um, and I'm going to use this to transition into Mark wanting to talk about that a lot, one of the themes that runs throughout this entire movie, and you're going to be able to pick out who it is pretty quick in every movie if you choose to go and watch all four, is you're going to find out there is one character in the movie that is absolutely detestable. You are annoyed <laughs> by them. You are annoyed by them throughout, you are rooting for Toby to snap their little necks like a crisp stick of celery. And, oh, just wait until we get to number four and I get to railing on who that is in that movie. But in this movie, the whole thing you have to remember is you're not dealing with a big cast where you're necessarily going to be wondering, as with a traditional horror movie, oh, who's going to be off next and how are, and how are they going to die? What you're watching is a descent into madness and how it really plays the two against each other, but especially as, in particular, the character of Mika Sloat kind of becomes just throughout the entire movie just a catalyst that is antagonizing a malevolent entity that eventually was going going to go absolutely hell-bent on him anyway. But Mika is think
3: I, I don't think Mika necessarily had to antagonize it. I know he did, but all you had to do was listen to the guy talk for about 10 minutes and you'd want to snap him in half.
0: <laughs> okay, oh, so oh. yeah. Yeah. Which it, it, is you, deliberate
3: uh, anyway. I mean, that yeah. was done deliberately. It's not like it was a byproduct with other characters from other horror franchises that you think, "Why don't you just die already?" And it's not meant to right. be that way,
2: necessarily. Well,
3: the thing you want to keep in mind,
2: acting-wise, about this, and because I hear people needlessly bitching and pissing and moaning and wah, wah, wah about the
0: acting,
2: this <laughs> act. <laughs> Bloody hell. Look, this movie ain't going to have a Heather Langenkamp. It's not no,
1: going have a... Movie.
3: shot on what? The budget was what fifteen thousand dollars for the whole thing. I was going to say it was
1: shot for about a buck fifty, and then it, you know, and it grossed the gross national product of Germany.
0: Well,
3: yeah, to, but yeah, but that I, movie uh, is now the most profitable movie in terms of budget to uh, gross ever.
2: Yes, yes, but the point that I'm trying to make is the fact that acting really wasn't what they were going for. They were going for people who act like people who would actually be in that situation in that situation not yeah. and not really acting like they're acting so to speak right let's Just, well, sorry so let's um for people who know
1: if you're listening to this podcast because you're interested in these movies but you never actually saw them so you want to see what we wanted to say essentially what we're dealing with is two characters living in a house and it as it turns out the um the two characters are katie and mika and katie is the girl mika is the boyfriend And um, Katie reveals that uh, when she was a child, she was haunted, and weird shit's happening in the house. And so Mika says, and and correct me if I'm wrong, if I start to go a little off here, uh, it was a little hard to hear in the beginning of the movie. Um, But Mika decides...
2: Trust me, I'm only growling deep in my throat because I'm thinking of the shirking of
1: continuity
2: that's going to happen two movies from now. <laughs>
3: um, oh
0: boy! Yeah,
1: we'll get there, folks. We'll get there. Hold your horses. So, uh, so Katie says, "Yeah, I was haunted as a child, and weird shit's happening in the house." And so Mika says, "Okay, well, you know what we're going to do? Then we're going to set up a camera, and we'll see what and, you know, and we'll tape it while we're sleeping, and we'll see what's going on." And that's the premise of the movie: weird shit's happening. We'll tape it and see what it is, and then we have a mystery on our hands. Now, um, that's the plot. The, you, you know, we, we're we're we are talking Hamlet here. Um, so. The characters, I said this on Facebook, we, we've we been talking a lot about this movie, like, off show and kind of preparation for it, and just, just to be buddies and talk. But I, one of the things I said on Facebook was, and it's funny because I actually had a very similar conversation about uh, Dennis Leary from the show Rescue Me. I said, when the lead character becomes so unsympathetic that I, I, I don't want good things to happen to them, you start to lose me. And that's what happened in this movie. <laughs> As much as I liked it, I absolutely hated the Katie character, and here's why. Um what? Oh, I hated her. Uh, That's Katie? opposite
3: for most people. Most people uh, were, found Katie more sympathetic and thought Mika was just a colossal douchebag who needed to die in a fire, which nope. sadly yeah, didn't I happen.
1: The I mean, he, I, he I was, was a douchebag. Bad. I like Katie. He, I thought Mika was a douchebag, but he wasn't nearly. There was a lot about Katie from (laughs) from a bunch of different perspectives I didn't like. But what you see with Katie is uh, genuine fear. You know, it's an acknowledgement that this incident, this vague incident, happened to her in her life. And as he's trying to investigate it and try to figure it out, and then for some strange reason trying to bargain with the demon, you know, she's trying to put this shit back in the box and run as far away from it as possible. The problem was the direction of her character, um, and I'll give you guys an opportunity to respond to this, is that as the movie starts to unfold, she becomes very aggressive, uh, very angry, just mean to Mika, essentially, who by all accounts is just trying to figure out what the hell's going on in this house. And there's a lot of ways you can go about doing those things. She chose bitchy girlfriend way. So by uh, so by the time she becomes a demon, I'm yeah. like, eh. Well, I saw that coming wow. a mile away. Yeah, sure, why not?
3: Did we actually see the same movie? Because that's not what I got at all. No, okay.
1: me neither. Me not in it. Not in any way. Oh, that that you're, was. I'll, I'll say you, it again, and I'm going to turn it over to you it. guys. I, can, I, I know. see where
3: you're coming with that. I just disagree. Okay. Are you sure you didn't
2: accidentally watch the Asylum, Mockbuster, Paranormal Entity, which is also very good? Netflix it. No, sir. Actually, Paranormal yeah, I agree activity. With you.
3: That one wound up being pretty good. <laughs> it's surprisingly good. Better than had a right to be. Uh, no, like I... Mock, or, you know, mockbusters.
1: Yeah. Looking looking back at it, I can honestly see why she becomes, you know, the the main bad guy throughout this <laughs> franchise. She she just gave
2: off the evil girlfriend vibe.
3: Wait, 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 wait a
1: second. Wait wait no,
2: no, no. I, I totally get where she was coming from because, Mark, you are understandably approaching... Uh, approaching things as a rational person thinking rationally, and that <laughs> is to remain calm and acknowledging that he's only trying to help, give him the benefit of a doubt, it's possible it not his fault. On the other hand, unexplainable things are unfolding around them. They're gradually becoming increasingly destructive and aggressive in nature, and they happen to happen right around the same time that Mika has started not taking this very seriously and started putting up cameras all over the place, trying to tape it, making all kinds of smart little remarks to the camera about about it, acting like he... cockily acting like he doesn't really believe, believe that there is...
0: Oh, that
3: um, sequence when he's...
2: ...thing going on. Whereas on the other... And also, you have to keep in mind... Um, I don't want to talk about the ending quite yet, but you could also view it as her increasingly aggressive behavior, possibly playing into playing into her transformation at the end of the movie. So, no, I think Katie's actions actually make perfect sense. I'm not saying they're
1: they're not logical in terms of being consistent within the universe of the movie. Not not that at all. No, I. That's not one of the limitations of the movie. I feel like they just made her very unsympathetic. It was a, it, it was a choice. I'm not saying it was a bad choice. I'm saying by the time you get, by the time you get to the end of the movie, I thought it all t- uh, tied together very nicely. I didn't, in other words, I didn't necessarily see somebody who was a decent person then fall from grace. I saw somebody who was an asshole turn into a villain. That's, that was my interpretation. I'll go over to Robert here, who thinks I saw a different movie. <laughs> go ahead, Robert. Let me give you an opportunity to respond to that.
3: I can see kind of where you're coming from, thinking back on it. I cannot – I'm not sure I can disagree with you too much more. Let me ask you this, though. Would that make you then more sympathetic toward the uh, character – I forget the name – played by Caden Sprague in the second one?
1: The sister, Christy? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I actually felt makes, like this was Cain and Abel between the two of them.
3: Okay, I get where I can see where you're coming from. I disagree, but one of the things that kind of annoyed me about the Mika character, and this was the first time in my life when I ever saw someone act behaving in a way that I thought, you know, now I get the all those jokes about men not asking for directions. <laughs> I suddenly. <laughs> I see the light as far as the stupid male is concerned, because I'd heard the jokes, I'd seen a couple of things about them, but to my mind, they were so obviously parodies of real-life situations, and I'd never seen the real-life situation, so to speak. And then this comes along, and here's this guy who wants to document all of this stuff for... I don't even know why in the beginning. I mean, he does want to... I get the feeling he wants to debunk it for her, because... It can't possibly be real, in his mind. There's no way this actually happens. And then, oh, wait, it is happening, and oh, crap, what do we do? Well, let's see. We could contact an expert on this subject, theoretically, and listen to their advice, or I can get a Ouija board from a friend and challenge the demon in an empty house to tell me something. I mean, what goes on in your brain? (laughs) In that man's defense,
1: not only did Ozzy snort a line of ants, but, you know, men are
0: men. (laughs) I'm just
3: saying, I get that men are men, and that was just the first time I'd ever seen it in such a way that I thought, oh, so if you didn't come up with the idea, it can't possibly be right. You can't possibly accept help. You're too proud. Your ego's too fragile to look for anything besides... But you can see with your head up your own ass.
1: I, I love that you're saying that, and, and I, I just I'm gonna do this in like ten words or, or, or so. I promise, so that we can so I can let you guys continue. But I, and I didn't say this at the top of the podcast when I wanted to. I think I sympathize with Mika for you know for, for this reason. I know I'm the kind of person who because of my job. You know, I, I, I deal with drug dealers and murderers and you know, all manner of terrible human beast. And these guys will try to intimidate me into doing you know, all kinds of things. And one guy tried to get me to, to run uh, contraband for him, and and I get very snarly and I stand up to him. And there is not a there is not a guy no matter how big or no, how dangerous um, he is in that jail that I'm afraid of. Then turn off the light and, and hit something and make it go bump. And then suddenly I shatter. You know, the point of it is—is is I, I sympathize with Mika because as a man, uh, you know, you just you you look at this and go, no, I fear nothing. I'm going to take this thing on, demon shmeeman. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to go at this thing. I'm going to demand it. Tell me what it wants. And it sounds and it's completely illogical. It's it sounds retarded as I'm saying it. But it, uh, it's, it's not
2: sounds logical. It sounds illogical unless you've actually watched an episode of Ghost Adventures. But no, do you, do you see what I'm getting at? If you're,
1: you know, no, 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 I,
3: I see what you're getting at, and that's one of the reasons I, you know, I, like I said, it as annoying as it was for me when I was watching it, thinking, you know, what's going on with you. At the same time, like I said, the penny finally dropped with all of those jokes about men being stubborn. It's suddenly <laughs> like, oh wait, so if the, if I went, if I like take that experience as the starting point. Not only are all the jokes funny, but I now understand it more. So, you know, I did get where the character was coming from. He was annoying and kind of a douchebag, but nothing he did felt artificial. So, to, you know, if that makes any sense as far as the story goes, it was, you know, yes, he's annoying, but I completely believe there are people out there whose reaction would be exactly that same thing.
2: Well, yeah, and that's and that's the thing that goes back to my comment that these people are not. Acting. They're being real people, and that is the fact that people in escalating situations like this do not follow what we consider necessarily classic story development. Not everybody necessarily is ever in a sympathetic position in a, in a story. Sometimes you do indeed have two people who are kind of flawed assholes, and sometimes you're just kind of you're just kind of wavering and you just kind of, if you have to choose somebody to kind of side with, you kind of choose with somebody who's being the lesser degree of the asshole, the one who's committing misdemean- misdemeanor douchebaggery over the one who's committing felony asshattery. Sure. This uh, is Poltergeist um, meets Waiting for Godot. Uh, kind of. Good good comparison. The little off the wall, but good comparison here. <laughs> you're welcome. Right. <laughs> right. That's kind of what we have. We have two people here who, in fact, as with many couples that I'm sure we've all known at some point, yeah, you know what, maybe they deserve each other all in all. Because, yes, yes, they are both very unpleasant people. Uh, However, between two of them, you have to root for the fact that for the most part, even though maybe she's approaching it as a tad bit of a bitchy hose beast, Katie is the one who's actually trying to be at least a little bit sensible and play things on the safe side, because whether Mika believes it or not, she's experienced something similar to this, whatever the explanation might be. On the other hand, as I said, all of you out there who have ever seen Ghost Adventures and have ever laughed yourself stupid at Zach Bagans as he spends 30 to 45 minutes antagonizing rumored violent spirits (laughs) cursing Cursing them out, trash, talk, trash talking them, you see why you ultimately end up kind of rooting against Mika. So, I it reminds me
1: of Bill Murray from Ghostbusters, you know, ringing a bell and going, "Oh, Ghost hate this" and stuff like that, or you know, walking through the library a little bit later on in the film and you know, trying to antagonize Slimer. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, at least oh. that had
3: the brilliance of Bill Murray doing it, as opposed to the guy from Ghost Adventures or this guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's talk. A, I did want to talk very briefly. Um, in the interest of time, we're gonna we we need to close out on uh, the first movie, move on to the second movie, um, which might have been entitled "Bigger uh, Paranormal Activity Two: Bigger and Betterer." Um, but I want to talk a little bit about as you as we will learn his name, Toby uh, the Demon. This this you know look traditional horror oh, monster. Some traditional horror oh, monster, something gross. You-
0: Oh, hang a, hang no, on! No, no, no. What's, What's going on out
1: there, <laughs> there, Sean? Hang on now! What's going on? What
0: What made the son of a
2: bitch the least scary for me, anyway, is the fact that you gave him a name like Toby, Toby, Toby Long, <laughs> Toby Long, Toby Long, <laughs> Charlie Chan. You know what? It, granted, this was not something the writers had in mind when they made this. Toby is the name of my little twenty pounds. Adorable, smart as a whip, cocker spaniel.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you know, Freddy got fingered, Freddy Krueger. I mean, what's in a name?
3: Uh, there's well, a substantial difference there in that Freddy was once a human being, and this is supposed to be the spawn of the devil.
0: Yes,
2: exactly. Well, maybe, then, it,
1: but maybe well, the devil. But, but don't don't they establish that this demon has a real name, and and it just kind of goes with Toby because you know he's trying to uh, bond with the
3: child uh, in some way.
2: Oh.
0: No, as a matter of of, fact, no, I don't.
3: My interpretation of that was more that's the closest thing they could come to to pronouncing it.
2: No, no, because what happened in in the third movie is, in the third movie, and yes, I'm going to spoil it before we talk about it, Christy dubs him Toby because at the time she thinks that Toby is an imaginary friend and just seemingly out of nowhere just randomly decided okay your name is toby
1: like a dog you know the dog's got a real name but you know but the dog wandered into your yard and it doesn't have a collar on it so you named him fido when his real name is spot and that's fine damn, damn you for no selling my roots joke
0: <laughs> you're welcome
1: now let's so let's talk about toby the dog now okay <laughs> So one of the great one of the great things about it and again, it's a, it's a departure from I think from traditional horror is um, the villain in many horror movies is some sort of a monster, some sort of gross thing, some sort of thing that you know plays with your imagination. So a blank mask that is um, the the guy from Halloween, uh, the hockey mask that is Jason Freddy who was a burnt face and knives on a glove, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, a, a Chucky you know crazy doll with uh, Slash marks on his face and all that um, You never see the villain in this thing You never see the demon um, And one of the things that I really liked About it, what it was, actually was pretty brilliant Was my at least my interpretation Of it isn't so much that the demon Is slowly but surely fucking with him that, I think that's part of it But I think it's more of And they say this line and that's why I believe this to be true is that um, it feeds on uh, negative energy. And so the worse things get, and and the further they descend into madness, the stronger he gets. And so, for example, the first scare, right, is the door shutting. And that's about all the power it can muster. And as things get progressively worse, it gets progressively stronger to the point where it's able to drag her out of the bed, uh, levitate her, um, possess her for a short period of time, you know, when she's standing out of the bed and um looking at him all creepy like things like that. Um uh, did you get that sense or do you have a different explanation for his uh for the for the rising level of ability? Is it, you know, just slow torture or is it uh, like I believe just him getting stronger as they get worse?
3: I think you're in a lot of ways you're right about that. They mentioned that on the second one actually when Katie and Christy are talking about it. Christy is wanting to know more about it and Katie says specifically, I remember that the more we talked about it, the worse it got. Which is another horror motif in several other movies that, you know, the more you believe, the more you feed into it, the stronger it becomes on its own.
2: Right. Yeah, that's one of the few things in the second movie they didn't blatantly ignore three fuck you all, fuck you all of a pool
0: cue.
2: <laughs> all right, all right.
1: Pull it pull pull it together. We have a whole other podcast to get to it. Um so just kinda of, kind of getting to the to the end of this thing there's no one of the limitations uh, to me at least maybe you guys picked it up there doesn't appear to be a motivation of the villain he's not he, he doesn't reveal that he's there to take over the world you don't learn anything about this thing until really the second movie. there's no motivation other than to just be evil. Which I think is extraordinarily weak, it doesn't seem to matter because that's not the point of the movie but i it's it's the one of the few flaws I have with it Sean, I'm going to go to you first on that, so i mean what, what, where, where do you how do you explain that to somebody? How do you deal with the fact that there's no reveal of a motivation for the main villain in this thing?
2: Well, um, just be evil off, well, first off, Mark, you are wrong, 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 wrong,
0: wrong tell me how I'm wrong 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 you're
2: wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. No, Mark, from my experience, when it comes to horror movies, you know when a lot of them really start going bad? When? Right about the time they start over-explaining things. Quite (laughs) frankly, I think a lot of them are that much scarier when you have that element of, no, no. We can't reason with it. We can't defeat it because we have no idea what it really wants. And for all intents and purposes, it does absolutely seem, absolutely seem to be going batshit because fuck it, fuck shit up. <laughs> Quite frankly, I think that's the worst kind because there, there is no way you can bargain with it. You cannot outthink it.
1: You so evil even for the sake of being evil, the be, be anti-Google, if you will, just be evil. Is okay you know, enough for you to be a strong enough malevolent
3: force?
0: You, you oh know, yeah, like- why
3: do you, ne- you know? Why do you need to explain anything? I mean, think about yeah. You know, forgive me for going into some movies that don't necessarily fall into the horror genre, so to speak. But in the first Alien movie, you know, it didn't want anything; it was just there to kill people. You know, the Terminator in the first Terminator movie, which I think kind of falls into the horror genre, loosely, very loosely, but. You know, what what is it that the guy says to him? It doesn't want anything. Ah. It doesn't feel pity or remorse. It will not stop. It is here to kill you. That's yeah, but that, that was, was a
1: motivation. It was there oh, to kill Robert. John It was there to kill John Connor. Or rather John Connor's
2: happy mother, rather. Robert by Dan Winfrey, you found the subspace highway into the back of my head, you magnificent bastard. Thank you. That is exactly what I was thinking of. When Mark was was saying that he thought it was weak, was that one speech by Kyle and that one line, it can't be reasoned with. Because anybody out there who has ever seen, who has ever, God bless you all, endured all of the horrible Halloween sequels, (laughs) you know that exactly when it tried to go south, when it got convoluted, when it got backwards, was when they started trying to explain Michael Myers. You
0: could say the exact same same. thing. You're right,
3: the first two of those, when he's just this malevolent force of evil, and even in the remakes, and I don't want to get into those because that's a very divisive topic, but they at least got back to that in that same kind of sense that, no, Michael Myers is just here to cause as much havoc as humanly possible. You guys don't,
1: as you're saying this, I'm like, ah, this is... This is anti-screenwriting. This is the, the, one of the very pillars of a story. The central pillar is motivation. It is the guiding force of the human existence, and you guys are going, fuck it. <laughs> we motivation. Shh, motivation. Okay. Things happen. Hey, hey, hey. You, happen. Want, you
3: want motivation. If you want motivation, you can look up the plot lines for the Transformers movies, because they go in-depth about the plot <laughs> and the motivation for those characters there. Does that make them good movies? Does that help anything?
1: It just reminds me of Pirates of the Caribbean. Everybody has a plot line.
3: Well, Wait wait, a second. Don't get me into that. But that whole... But that whole... You know... If you want to look at the motivation, the characters have the motivation. The demon in these movies is not a character. It is a force of nature. It is So what you're telling me
1: is that this movie is Twister. No, no, no.
3: Kind of, yes. Kind of, In that what you're after at the end, the thing coming to get you is not necessarily something that you can control, something that you can reason with. And, you know, if you get into that, if you actually, when you start thinking about it, that is infinitely more scary than anything that you could possibly reason with or control. Because there is not a damn thing under heaven or in hell that you can do to stop this. It's just going to kill you.
0: Right. What's fast? Well,
1: hey, I want hey, I want Sean to make his final point cause, but this makes a great transition into two because everything that I'm complaining about now and you guys are telling me that I'm wrong about, which is fantastic gets turned on its head in the second movie. So Sean bring us home here in the first movie make your final point, give me a good kick in the tushy and then let's talk about why hey, you guys ended up being wrong in the next one. Here's
2: what you have to do. You've admitted that you are not necessarily a
1: fan
0: of horror movies.
2: Okay, You have two people here though who are fairly well-versed in the genre, who are who are very experienced in it. And we've we kind of had a chance throughout various franchises and various movies to really see how storytelling in horror is often very different from effective storytelling in any other form. Because the whole idea is to terrify, establish tension. You're establishing unease. You have to establish a sense of dread. And really, in this case, you do have to take a less and more approach with this genre because historically that's the most effective. I can name very, very few genres that actually got better the more we learned about the character. Why the third got exponentially got exponentially worse the more we learned about the characters. Yeah, I thought it got exponentially worse when he started
1: going into space.
3: You know, okay. for a schlockfest, Jason X is actually really fun. I'll say I'll say <laughs> that in his defense. Yes. That, if
0: that, you want a is... better
3: example of what he's talking about, think, I forget which Halloween it was, one of the later ones where Michael Myers, Michael fucking Myers, gets his ass kicked by Buster Rhymes.
2: Awesome. Okay, oh, that dear is more than you're, you're talking about. For. Resurrection.
3: Was that movie directed by Roger Corman? All the they're both so bad. Was <laughs> that movie directed by Roger Corman?
2: movie!
1: I'm gonna do that joke one more time because it's funny to me.
0: <laughs>
1: Never mind. Go ahead. I kept saying, was that was that movie directed by Roger Corman? Which, by the way, when you do when you start doing Corman movies with Jeremy Lambert, you need to start listening to me and, and do the ones I'm telling you. The Arena, uh, the Big Bird Cage, those movies, awesome. But I digress.
2: Oh, we're doing Black Mama, White Mama.
1: Fantastic. Um, (laughs) My favorite podcast. We haven't even done it yet. But anyway,
2: back to my point. (laughs) You know, what actually made one of the few franchises that actually got better the more you learned? Okay, Saw actually did, in my opinion, get a little bit better the more we unfolded about Jigsaw with each movie. Even if the movies themselves got weaker as they got away from being very story-oriented and actually having some moral commentary. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning, there's a lot wrong with that movie, but the worst thing wrong with it is the fact that it tried to establish a backstory for Leatherface, of things that we really didn't need to know, all you South Park fans out there when I see it throughout that movie, it was the equivalent to actually me saying we just want our okama game sphere <laughs> you know exactly what i what I mean it the more you learn the more annoyed you the beca- more annoyed you became because again it's all more threatening the less you the less you know. And sometimes you want to preserve the mystery. You want to speculate, but as you said, two started to clear a little bit of that up, and at this point, clearing it up had not sent the story entirely off the rails yet. In fact, overall it, it added, could be it was maybe even better than paranormal activity. All right, so well, let let me, me, a lot let of me...
3: that, if you don't mind me interjecting one more thing. A lot sure. of that as far as well, first of all, you're dead on about SAW two. When you talk, when uh, Donnie Wahlberg is actually sitting there talking with Jigsaw and he explains himself, it's one of the, it it is, it actually makes him a bit more menacing in some ways as opposed to detracting from him. But with this, as far as uh, paranormal activity goes, when I first saw the original, I thought, I went online, I looked up, you know, because after I saw it, I was like, okay, I want to know more about it. They had a different ending that I thought as far as just, this is an evil spirit who's there to cause havoc, would have fit better when, after Katie kills Mika, she just sits in front of the camera until the police show up later that day, and then she slits her own throat. And I thought, if you're doing that, that is a much more effective ending for this thing just wants to cause chaos. They left it open for a sequel, and to their credit, they were able to expound on it in two in a way that didn't wholly detract from everything else.
1: At least as as far as two goes. Let me um, let me put a final exclamation mark on this um, in, in a way that I, I will relent to your arguments, which are sound. There's a meme on Facebook that I thought was hilarious, and it, it played off Dungeons and Dragons, um, the you know, the classes of uh, morality. So you've got your lawful good, your lawful neutral, your lawful um,
0: yeah, evil.
3: Yeah, those are funny. They yeah, can be funny, and
1: though. so you get to the Joker from the Dark Knight, and it's chaotic, and it's chaotic evil, mm-hmm. which makes sense because he says in the movie. Uh, And I don't remember what the exact line is. Um, Because I'm an agent
3: of chaos when speaking with Harvey Dent in the hospital room. Right.
1: You know, and and something along the lines of, and some things just exist to burn it all down.
3: Actually, Um, that was Michael Caine. Michael Caine, uh, uh, Alfred explaining to uh, Bruce Wayne about the Joker because he was thinking he would explain him. And Michael Caine's line was, there are some men who can't. Who don't want rational things? They can't be bought, bargained with, or bullied. They just want to watch the world burn. Right, and that is
1: one of the things. And, and this really does support your arguments. It's one of the things that makes the Joker probably one of the most menacing villains in in uh, movie history. All right, Ooh, yeah. but Ooh, but yeah. then we but then everything we've just talked about for the last ten to fifteen minutes gets turned completely on its head in the second movie. And let me set it up by saying this: uh, paranormal activity. Worked very, very well as what it was meant to be, which was an experiment in, in a film technique and an idea and just a general sense of shit going bump in the night is scary, no matter where you are. Uh, okay, so great. And we could have lived with just one movie, but this is America. And when and when something makes money, a gross retarded amount of money, uh, studio executives with business degrees get around a table and go, "How can we milk this shit for all of its worth?" And I say that with capitalist pig enthusiasm. Therefore, we get <laughs> we get paranormal, paranormal activity 2, Again, shot for two dollars, made a billion, roughly the you know the figures that I've looked up. Uh, so this we get a very expansive... Um, sort of parallel prequel, which are, you know, kind of an oxymoron, but work with me here. So this story sort of coexists alongside of the first movie, and it focuses on the younger sister, Christy. And this is where we learn that the demon has a motivation. Uh, We get a little bit more of the backstory, but essentially it's um, the same movie, uh, and I don't mean this as a detraction, I'm meaning this just to be funny more Michael Bay style, you know, it's bigger, it's better, more characters, bigger house, you know, lots of more stuff's going on, more menacing demon this time, uh, and, and that's where we are, so we follow this family, and, uh, and it's the same thread, demon starts off doing little things, and it grows and grows and grows and grows, and, grows and suddenly you, uh, you're, you're sort of exposed to this long storied history of this demon fucking with this
3: family. So no, we're not into three yet. This is still good <laughs> too. Three is where it kind of goes off the rails.
1: Well, yeah, no, no, yeah. It, it absolutely goes uh, off the rails. But you, but they still spend an enormous amount of time in this movie telling you that this family has been dealing with this thing for quite
2: some time.
0: Yeah, um, guys,
2: this was the movie that the directors of Paranormal Activity Three clearly just fast forwarded right through.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and to my
2: friend
1: Aaron, who who I went to high school with, who who yelled at me online for saying because for, I said I fast forwarded, I didn't fast forward through two. I fast forwarded through three. I couldn't take it anymore, but we'll get to that later.
2: Well, um, well, I had to question whether or not I had watched the entire Nightmare on
1: Elm Street series when I commented on it. Aaron's a very nice man. You be nice. Now, listen. Uh, <laughs> he was actually the, uh, the keyboardist in my band in high school, but that's not important right now. What's important is this, Sean. What did you like about two? Um, what What was it about two that makes it a more successful movie than one, in your opinion?
0: You know, honestly... <sighs>
2: comparing the two and actually picking which one I like honestly depends almost on which day I li- I watch them because they're so even in my mind because despite the fact that you have a bigger house despite the fact that you have more people who are involved despite the fact that you're trying to expand upon the plot they're still doing everything in a very lo-fi way they're still do- they're still achieving almost all the scares with practical effects. It, it is still almost entirely practical, very little done with with very much visual editing. Um, it still escalates. It's still very much a slow burn. You kind of have two obnoxious characters in this one. Uh, the daughter is, an, is kind of an irritating tit sometimes. Um. The father of the family is a pompous bag of dicks who I guess... I, I really um, want to talk about the dad with Robert
1: when, when, when we get there, but I want you to finish your point. But there's a lot uh, I want to talk about what, about the father in this one, sure, especially sure. In, comp-
2: in comparison to Miko. Mika. Uh, uh, Toby definitely finds some more toys to play with in this one. Um, we get a few. We get more camera angles around the house, as in this case, as opposed to just having a camera that is set up on a tripod at night in the bedroom as our static cam. We instead scroll through a security system that is set up after one particular incident. So it gives the filmmakers. Hey, they explain that copy.
3: incident in three. How can you not love the exposition?
2: <laughs> because. Robert, (laughs) pumpkin pie. They ignored the goddamn exposition of two when they made three. They threw it right out the goddamn window. Oh, except when they decided to advertise for three. I am calm. I am calm. I am in my happy
1: place. (laughs) We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Hold everything. Calm down now. Take a Xanax. We're on to two. I'm remaining
2: in my happy place. But (laughs) um, they managed to be more versatile and go a little bit bigger but they managed to do it without losing sight of what makes the franchise work. They built it up through the escalating reactions of all the characters to everything. They had more cameras to work with to keep the audience more on edge as far as when the actual scare was going was going to come. And also at this point, the motivations, as they were, of Toby still... Made sense because it hadn't been so watered down by this point. Right. So it, it was indeed. This would have been a good stopping point if they would have ended
1: after this
0: movie. Yeah,
1: and I want to come back to that at the end of this podcast. I want. I want to talk about that. Let me, um, if you'll pardon me, let me cut you off there and talk a little bit about the characters. Um, we have a little, little, little over twenty minutes left of the podcast. Um, as I said about the first movie. I actually was sympathetic towards Mika, yeah, he's a douchebag, but you know what, um, given the circumstances i I sympathize with him, and he didn't irritate me nearly as much as his father. You know you guys talked about how you know would you- re- would you or would you not really react this way if this were really happening to you and i could and again, I could understand Mika's reaction to some of this stuff. The father isn't believable in this movie i I'm sorry you're, you're, you there's a pan that that uh uh, bursts into flames, and you know and, and not once does he think after the daughter is is pleading with him she didn 't burn anything does he bother to check his own security footage and This is a constant theme throughout this movie. This father either has amnesia uh, parkinson 's or is a complete moron. Robert am I going wrong here i don 't understand why does this father insist on having a security camera uh, documenting everything going on in this house in case they are robbed again, allegedly and then bothers to check none of it ever, except in the one instance which he then discredits concerning the uh, the pool cleaner. Talk to me, baby.
3: Uh, I think I actually found him a bit more tolerable than Mika in the sense that he is just, for 80% of the movie, staunchly of the opinion that, no, this can't happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Mika came off to me more as a weasel. And I want to show you you're wrong with this camera, and oh crap, now it's real, but I'm going to figure a way through this, and hey, maybe I can even profit out of it somehow.
1: It so you're saying the father's kind of where in I denial. kind I thought his
3: motivation was.
1: So you're saying the father's in denial where Mika is, you know, you, you bitch, you're crazy.
3: Yeah. I mean, at, at several points, he just flat out says, no, I don't believe in this. And as much as, you know, you think, wow, well, that's kind of stupid given what's going on, if you're that blind to it, at least that makes sense in a twisted, crazy kind of way. He's
0: also just
2: i still a little didn't bit
3: think rich. he was I still didn't think he was terribly sympathetic, and I completely understand where you're coming from and I actually laughed when I saw him jump into the hot tub that was actually still hot because I thought, yeah, you're gonna get it, <laughs> but yeah on the whole you know you're right he you know as that was one of the things I actually liked about the first one was they would actually review the footage. Right. They yeah. actually recorded them looking at it. It's like, oh wait, this doesn't exist in a vacuum. They're not just having this so they can be so they for the sake of you know why not?
1: Right. It was one and, of you know, the right, times with, in the first one where there's daytime dread because the look of fear in her eyes that you know why am I staring at him like a creepster uh, for several yeah. hours here?
3: And I don't remember it and what the hell's going on and yeah it, you're right it is and you know again the father in this one at my you know i suppose i would rather sympathize with someone who is willfully ignorant as opposed to maliciously a pain in the ass so to speak i mean it, it, it's really you know six of one half dozen of the other in a lot of ways but that's where I came from, at least.
1: You know, in the first movie, I said I was kind of happy Katie turned into a demon. The bitch deserved it. And this one, and then spoiler alert, folks, so hold your ears if you don't want the, uh, the big reveal at the end. I'm so glad she slits his throat. because, But considering he does something so morally inept, I mean,
0: yeah. let, let, let's
1: walk through the logic of this. And I'm going to allow Sean to come in on this one just as a reaction. Let me set this up. They've they've figured out they're being haunted by a malevolent demon who is um, – and they may or may not realize this – is trying to claim the child. And so the, the father now takes action and wants to rid the house of the demon, and he's told, look, there's only one way to do this, and the ghost buses aren't available to put it in the ecto-containment unit. So what you've got to do here is you've you got to do an exorcism, see, and you've got to get the demon and put it somewhere else. And he goes, I know my sister-in-law. Now look <laughs> – I've got some relatives in my family I don't care for, but if my wife is ever possessed, my first thought isn't going to be, um, "Let me grab uh, cousin Sebastian and I'll go and I'll go put a demon in him because fuck him and his family."
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then wonder why at the end of the movie she shows up and she shows up in her underpants and slits his throat. I mean, for God's sake, he doesn't
3: even it was, see it coming, back. At least it, it, I believe he's the one sitting there staring at the TV, and she just comes up behind and yeah, yep. like yanks his head off.
1: Yeah, it it was not not a pleasant scene it was no, one where you're I knew right. it was as far
3: as, You know, that that for me in a lot of ways that was the point that you got to with you know when you're talking about Dennis Leary when he stops being anything approaching sympathetic.
1: Right.
0: I You've mean, now made a moral, I made I not mean,
3: believe there's not a better way he could have handled
0: that.
1: And it's interesting it's it's an interesting juxtaposition because if you're talking about sort of an, you know an angel of death claiming an immoral soul, um, it totally works. Unfortunately, it's a malevolent demon trying to get its, you know, trying to get its, uh, its due, you know. And so it's kind of like, okay, so two evils canceling positive. I don't, I don't like. What is the writer telling me with that scene? You know, I just it's such a weird thing for me. Do you understand what I'm saying? He does a bad thing and he's killed for it. Okay, you know, justice is served. Wait a minute, the villain just won. It's an, odd, it's sort of an odd turn, it, turn it on its head moral issue
2: I have with this movie. Sean, what do you think about that? Okay, well, first off, minor point of contention. She doesn't slit his throat, she breaks his neck. Um, yeah, that's that was what
3: I thought. She, like, turned his head around. Uh, yeah. Second, I would add to your Dennis Leary
2: comparison, I would also throw in uh, Clay Morrow on Sons of Anarchy.
3: He's As, never supposed to be sympathetic. He's supposed to be the bad guy. That whole show is an extended Hamlet, and he's King Claudius. Yes. You're not supposed however, to feel sympathetic for him. I'm gonna uh, however, I'm, I'm, I'm
1: gonna tell you guys fifteen minutes. Let's not go on a Sons of Anarchy tangent because then you'll bring me into the Shield and we'll be here till three o'clock in the morning, and that's the witching hour.
2: Well, fair enough. I I disagree somewhat with Robert, but yes, moving on. Um, but no, this guy is if anything does weaken this movie, um, it is the father character, and he does it in several different ways. All the ways you guys just mentioned being the main way in that really there's, there's really nobody you want to passionately root for in the first movie. But in this movie, this guy just goes so, goes so off the rails stupid with a denial, despite the inexplicable evidence right in front of him that no, no, you don't feel the least tinge of regret when on comes when on comes Katie and his ass is grass.
3: Um, He's approaching Reggie the Reckless territory there, as far as I in several ways, as far as I'm concerned.
2: One hundred percent percent agreed. So that really weakens it right there, and it's kind of weakened in other areas in that the daughter is. An obnoxious character throughout most movies. Not unlikable, but just kind of annoying. So you she's also really... a child, though. Yeah,
1: she, you you She's really... a child whose moral compass is questionable, frankly, because she's a teenager. You know, and that's what you have parents for. This guy's a full-grown <laughs> man.
0: He'll <laughs> wait
3: until you
2: watch Paranormal Activity for 4.
3: Um, yeah, I was going to say, would you rather have the slightly annoying daughter in this one, or... Paranormal Activity Four because I, don't you know, I haven't, watched, I haven't
1: watched Paranormal Activity Four yet, and given my reaction to Paranormal Activity Three, which is curses, Sean, why are you doing this to me? Uh, I, I, you guys are just making this worse. The dread yeah, of watching Rob,
2: this movie is actually worse than the dread of the movie. Yeah, uh, Robert, you might as well just ask me which testicle I want to get kicked in. Um, <laughs> but um, no, so you don't really get a chance to really engage much with engage much with her, Christy. God love them, they try, but we never really get to engage with her all that much. Um, really, the only one you kind of feel sorry for is Lupe, the Latin <laughs> housekeeper, and that's partially because the father is just a teasy bit patronizingly racist toward her. Um,
3: <laughs> it's true, it's true. Well,
2: that, you do, that you really feel bad for, um, but
3: otherwise... You're just kind of I mean, engaged
2: mostly by
1: the The scares dog was
3: probably the most sympathetic character in that house.
1: I'll what? go along with that. that uh, you're especially towards the end when you oh. see what Toby does to him.
3: Oh, yes, that awesome German
2: Shepherd. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Aww. I, I, forget, I forget what his name was, but that awesome dog. I think his um, name was Pig Hostage. <laughs> nice. Uh, but... Again, but before we get too off uh, too off the rails here, no, that really weakens it. And even the fact that this is a movie where they have they actually have to resort to my most hated of scary movie tactics, the fake out scare.
3: Oh, I hate those.
2: And oh, oh dear God, how my blood boiled in my throat watching them employed in Paranormal Activity 3 and 4, because these were the two
3: movies that were so good, they didn't really need them.
2: And this one
3: didn't really I, I will say them. this, in the defense of using it in the second one, It was, the original fake-out scare was done to be different, because, oh, here it is, oh, wait, no, oh, release really, ah, there it is.
0: In the yeah. second
3: one, you were so not expecting, in a lot of ways, that type of trick that it actually had a degree of effect.
0: It hasn't been
3: overused like when you see The Grudge, which is nothing but the fake-out.
2: Yeah, but the thing is,
3: did you know... Okay, okay, objectively speaking, it shouldn't have to resort to it. If you have to, if you feel the need to throw it in there, then this is a way to at least not have it be a break-the-tension, it it's so bad type thing.
2: No, but the problem was, was in Paranormal Activity 3 and Zenu helped me even more so
3: in four.
2: They almost. We're talking to, about two.
3: We're talking about they, two. Let's make, stay positive.
2: I know, <laughs> but I make
3: a comparison, okay? In okay. this
2: one, there was, I believe, one, maybe two of them. So it was mildly annoying, but it wasn't so bad. However, unfortunately, once you view the series as a whole, you start to see oh, it, it as a. Yeah. As a harbinger of things to come, because in the next two movies after this one, they started relying on it because it was abundantly apparent that number one, the new directors had no idea what made the first two, movie, two well, movies. I cool. want to comment on that,
1: Sean, because
0: because
1: that that is a that is an ongoing thing where you have an artist, an artist creates art. And, it, you know, it produces a reaction, and you know, and if they're lucky, it makes them a lot of money. Unfortunately, if they're, if they're unlucky, it makes them a lot of money, and then business people get involved. And, again, I'm not bashing on business people, but these, these, these are facts. This is what happens, is you get these people who go, I don't totally understand why this works. I just know it makes money, so do more of that thing. Do more of the thing that made us money and you and and slowly but surely you start to lose sight of the very thing that made made it popular in the first place that yep. is the the real story of paranormal activities it was you know like you guys were talking about saw and and kind of a long running theme throughout this podcast the long road to ruin is that uh, as these movies go on and on and on, they go so far away from the central thing that made them successful in the first place and, that, and And the difference between the first two movies and the second two, the biggest difference so far that I can see is at least in two they were still consistent within their own universe as to what was, why this was why this was successful and why this was popular. You still had that sing songy uh, sort of thematic slowly build the tension, release, slowly build the tension, release, slowly build the tension, release, crescendo, lobster. Um, by the time you get to three, they've gone into, they've gone into death metal territory, and, it, and we'll get there eventually. Um, we're going to start wrapping up here. Uh, Robert, I'm going to let you, uh, It's kind of like the MMA podcast, I'm going to let you do the best of here. Things we didn't talk about that you wanted to say, 50 words or less, uh, the first of two movies, go.
3: Um I think the second one has one of the best jump scares in horror movies. And any and if you've seen it you know what one I'm talking about. It be and it ha- works for a couple of reasons. Uh it's the one where poor Christie is just sitting there eating breakfast and you're watching oh. her and it's daylight even you cuz you like you said in the first one, you No, know, not a lot of bad stuff happens during the day. Right. And you're sitting there and she's eating and then all of a sudden boom every cupboard, every drawer, everything explodes. Oh god.
1: Yes. Yeah, that was legitimately scary to to me.
3: To my mind, that's one of the best jump scares, if you need to use jump scares, in one of the better ones in horror history, I think. I mean, you have that, you have a really (laughs) nice one from The Third Exorcist, actually. But I thought that one was awesome. I thought... What was the other... There was another good sequence, I thought, in the first one. Oh, in the first one, um, there's a couple that I felt need to be discussed a little bit um, again during the daylight hours in the first one when the Ouija board moves on its own I mean it's kind of you know you can kind of see it coming because it's a Ouija board and it's about a malevolent spirit but at the same time seeing something happen during daytime is a big especially in a series like this where you you know again in the first two you have that pattern of there's interpersonal tension and stuff during the day and then you're waiting on the edge of your seat for bad shit to happen at night Right, to see something happen during the day is enough of a you know again to use kind of your music note, it's a counterpoint. It's something you don't expect, and it can be very effective i i also I liked the joke where the father had the pool cleaner jump out of the pool at them because <laughs> I thought you know the guy's kind of a dick, <laughs> so that's something he would do, and it actually is kind of funny in the sense that you know you see somebody do that, you might kind of chuckle at it, and then you know okay, that's kind of funny and. I did love him jumping in the hot tub when it's actually like 90 degrees and immediately <laughs> jumping out and getting – and then what kind of kills me about that is he then gets pissed off at everyone else.
1: <laughs> that's, a, that's a very father thing to do, though. You I have absolutely no
2: responsibility but, here. I, it's all your but, all fault. What,
3: what I know, but uh, that's the point where – yeah, that's the point where, you know, like the same thing with the pan lighting on fire. You know, okay, you've got all these cameras. You know, go see. I mean, <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: you know, it's not like there's not visual evidence of this. I mean, come on. But watching him do that, I enjoyed it because I thought, at this, on one hand, I thought, yeah, it serves you right. On the other hand, it actually did help build the mood a little bit.
1: All right, because, Sean, do your you best, know, Axel Rose, and take me home.
2: Oh God, yes, that hot tub skit. The funniest thing about it is the fact that he goes in, he goes inside ranting up a storm about it. And Christy and his daughter are just trying not to lose their
0: shit. Yeah,
3: that that, that whole thing struck me as like a very genuine moment in that movie that
0: yeah, if this yeah, happened, this yeah. is
3: what everyone would do and you're sitting there trying not to laugh your ass off at him because he's obviously pissed off. Right. yeah. But you can't help but see the hu- everyone sees the humor in it, but him because it happened to him.
2: Sure. Yes. Um, the, the other things that I like, um, and I'm not I'm not going to spoil it because I know of at least one friend of mine who has not seen these movies who is listening to this podcast right right now. Hi, Jason. Um, but um, man, that closing about last minute and a half of. The first paranormal activity before before the credits. Do you yeah. want to
3: talk about the moment
2: that stuck with me and that I can still feel the jolt in my stomach from it from the first time I experienced it? Um, I didn't even and I didn't even have the pleasure of seeing it in theaters. I was watching this at home alone in my apartment back then in Missouri, all the lights out, nothing else, not expecting it, and then wham!
3: Wow. Yeah, that what? that hit the high note really fast. I actually did see it in theaters, and I have to credit the marketing of the movie for that, because if you remember, that was the whole story behind the first one is actually really fun, but not to get into it, yeah. but they had that whole, you know, go online and demand that we bring this movie to wide release. Yes. And I did, yeah. and so, and then when it came there, I thought, you know, I went online and I clicked the button, you know what, let's go see, and so I did get to see it in theaters, and uh, was a ni- that was a nice experience.
1: Oh, scared the God. shit you know, out what? of me. I uh, I watched that at night. I may- I was dumb enough to watch that at night before I went to bed. And like I said, you know, giant spider comes down my block. I'll go outside and fight the giant spider. You know, gang members run into my house. I'm t- I'm hardcore. I'll take them all on. Um, man being flung at camera. Demon smiling into it. Scared the shit out of me. Couldn't sleep. Oh,
3: I tell you what geez. scared me personally. What scared me more than that was. Seeing her walk with that demon's gait, because you'd heard him walk before you had the thump creak, wait, thump creak, wait. And then watching her walk with that same gait was a bit more disturbing to me than her jumping at the camera at the end. But still, yeah, that whole thing, that whole ending sequence, I think, is brilliant. A lot of it because you don't see it.
2: Yes, yes. And and to be general, really, again, the best thing about this movie that I can say, which is unusual to say – for a guy, about a guy who was a first-time filmmaker like Oren Pelley, who was doing this on such a low budget, doing this in such a low-fi way, is the fact that there is not a shot that is set up in either of these first two movies where I can honestly say the first time I saw it, I could really see where the scare was coming from. And really, a big part of it is really in how each shot was not just it. We talked about the pace. We talked about the timing. But really, there's something to be said, especially when it comes to that bedroom cam in the first for the angles that he chooses and the way he executes everything from those that just makes the scares when they really start to escalate that much more intimidating. And that's why I don't fault you, Mark, for the fact that you were a little uneasy after you watched this for the first time. I totally get you, and it's and there was so much of that effectiveness that was lost in the subsequent movies, even in two, because they really
3: kind of tried to replicate the same ending as in the first one. But well, that happens when you have a parallel story. Well, yeah, that, but that's the thing what that, That's well, what hurt, that's what hurt it is, most, in my opinion, was you couldn't based, because you're having it happen at the same time, more or less you couldn't go with a different ending, and it wound up being too much of the same thing.
2: Okay, okay, true, but I'm also talking about this more just from a technical standpoint. And I realize it's got to be humorous to everybody else out there to hear me talk about a found footage movie that way. But the fact is, in two, it ends very similarly, but it's inferior because it's not set up quite as effectively and not executed as effectively, or as startlingly, uh, or as intensely yeah. as it was in Edward.
3: Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, finish. I'll agree with you in a minute.
2: It's to put a nice bow on it. It's still surprising the way it, the end of two plays out. However, I would dare say it's also very anticlimactic, and unfortunately, it was also sequel baiting. So while it was a good ending, I can't really call it a great one. Robert, go ahead and do 10 words
1: or less here and then um I'm going to do my my uh my final thing and then we're going to we're going to we'll, we'll plug in
2: and then we'll pull out of this. Okay?
3: Uh I agree with you about the ending of the first one and a lot of that had to do with how he'd set it up. You know, nighttime bad things happen. It's never the same bad thing. You're always looking for what it is and it never quite makes the same sense and then all of a sudden she gets dragged out of the room you know it, it didn't it, it felt you know the other one you knew when you were coming the second one you know when you're coming towards the end of the movie the first one you can kind of see it coming but it could have gone on at least you know for one more you know, chorus repeat so to speak and it does kind of come out of no, kind of become shocking to have it end like that the second one you're right technically it does kind of it uh, become too much of a repeat. It could have been done, and that kind of annoyed me because they could have done different things with it. You have all the different camera angles. You have more characters. You didn't have to go quite as much of a rinse repeat and lose something in it when you could have tried to do something a little different and maybe. I mean, at worst, you know, you you're going for more or less the same ending anyway. You could have tried executing it a little differently.
1: Okay, um, as we've we've been talking about the paranormal activity movies, I've done a lot of reading on them. I've listened to you. I've, I've talked with other people about it. Reminds me a lot of the um, the Tim Burton slash of Joel Schumacher Batman, where you have you know the first two, which are really really good and are consistent within their own universe. The third one kind of goes off the rail, but it is at least it's not the worst thing on the planet. And the fourth one to self parody. Um, same I, I feel like that very much the same thing could be said about paranormal activities. And so uh in the next podcast, which will be in two weeks, um, I believe uh on a Tuesday, so uh calendar. Um Googly. Come on. uh yeah. On the uh on the twenty fifth of February, we three will be back to uh to talk about the, the next two movies and you know, again, everything that starts to go wrong in the third one and becomes uh, retarded by the fourth one. I haven't even seen it yet, but I, I, I what I've read, I, I expect the worst. Uh, so we'll get into all of that. Um, just in summation, and, and I want to make sure this point was said: there was no reason to make a third and fourth movie. It, oh. I think, it's terrifying what happens at, the, at the, 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 the despite all the flaws with it. The very act of what happens at the end of the movie, um, which you know, now I'll just say it, you know, spoiler alert, so hold your ears if you don't want to know duh, 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 duh. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, a demon steals a baby, you know, and then you don't know what happens. That's horrible. That, that, that,
3: that is an awful is awful in a good way as far as horror movies go. Yeah. You know, that is a bad ending and that you know, you're right. You don't necessarily need three and four, and you certainly don't need how they did them.
1: No, and that's my point. You know, I, I, greed aside, um, <laughs> greed aside, property—you know—trying to milk a property for all it's worth aside, it ended perfectly with the second movie. Everything tied up nicely, and by that point, they hadn't completely convoluted uh, the backstory. And if and I wish that were the end of the podcast, I wish that were the end of the series, but nope. We, um, as with all long, road to, long road to ruin franchises, <laughs> <I was laughs>
3: couldn't
1: like, go to we, ruin we, if
3: it ended in the second one.
1: Uh, but, but that's my point. As uh, as with all long road to ruin franchises, now we've got to get to the shitty part. <laughs> we got to get to the ruin. So uh, I really appreciate Robert Winfrey lending his uh, experience and appreciation for the horror genre. Uh, and for these movies, I, I thought you brought a lot to the table today, Robert, and I was glad to have you on the show. Why don't you, um, you know, where, where people can find you on Twitter if you want them to find you and what you do and uh, what you want to plug. Hit it. Uh,
3: if you do follow Twitter and you wish to follow me for whatever reason, I uh, you can find me at Winfrey MMA because that's mostly what I do. Uh, if you want to follow me there, I... Uh, let's see. By the time this comes out, I will have already had my latest column up, or it will come out on the same day. I'm. If you're in the MMA zone, I do right Locked in the Guillotine MMA News Report. It comes out every Friday. Uh, I do news. I do fight previews and reviews, depending on how things are going. And if it's a slow week, I'll find something to rant about. I ranted about point fighters last week. I don't need it to rant for the next couple of weeks because it's show after show after show after show, but I'll find something else to rant about then. And this week, I actually do rant a little bit about the International Olympic Committee deciding to cut wrestling and the vast stupidity that that uh, exposes.
1: Robert, if you love me, you'll change your Twitter avatar to Sam the Eagle.
3: <laughs> I will see what I can. My my current Twitter avatar is Cthulhu running for president. You've also—I huh.
1: change mine like every three weeks. First of all, you know you, you got to freshen it up. You got to change the gimmick every once in a while. Don't you know anything about pro wrestling?
3: Eh, too much, sadly, and that's why I try to stick with something consistent because it works.
1: Be Sam the Eagle. People will love all right. You. Your I will look for Sam will the double. Eagle. <laughs> Fantastic. I will look for Sam the Eagle. Excellent. You are my hero. And speaking of heroes, Sean Comer, tell him what you do. Well, first off, maybe the Toby HR baby.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> what is this, the Clockwork Orange? Get on, get on with it. Clockwork.
2: I break out a Seinfeld reference, and you clock.
3: Well, given how much crap there is in Seinfeld, we need something good to counterbalance it.
2: Thank you. Hey. um, Anyway, uh, folks, never dull your colors for someone else's canvas. And just in case one very special listener might be tuning in, Bon San Valentino, Jess. But in the meantime, elsewhere where you can find me, um, I am every Sunday night except for the ones where I occasionally flake out due to illness or other commitments. I am the ringmaster of music's three Rs over in the music over in the music zone. Uh, coming up very, very soon. I am going to be making my music fact or fiction debut. Joseph Lee tells me that it's not this week, but uh, I believe he said the next week I am going to be on there. And also in a few short weeks you can catch me On the Bad Movie Review Club with Jeremy Lambert, where we will be inducting our very first Hall of Fame member, Tommy Wiseau's magnum opus, The Room. Um, This time, I am truly, truly giving Jeremy a so-bad-it's-good movie that I can sink my teeth into. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this, since, as said before, I respect her work and we're good and we're good friends. Check out Obscurus Lupa Presents over at Uh Show the good, uh, lovely and talented Miss Allison Regler some love. Uh, also, I would say check out Welshie over on the same site. And um, one last one, I would also say check out uh, the Cinema Snob, Brad Jones as well. He's got a number of great shows on there. But For the most part, uh, unless you're in Phoenix and you can stop by the Sutherland Longmore Starbucks where I'm writing almost every day, uh, that's where you can find me. All right, great. All right, so uh,
1: let's see here. Sunday, the 17th, is the next MMA podcast, a 411 ground-and-pound radio show hosted by yours truly and joined by a cast of thousands, OK2, okay, Jeff Harris and uh, Pat Mullen on. And then occasionally Robert uh, likes to come in and pinch it for us. It's fantastic. Well, we moved. We are. We were formerly during the church hour at 11 a.m. We are now at 9 p.m. Uh, catch a very special episode of the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show as we will be going up against the Elimination Chamber. I, I, I beg of you, turn off that t- terrible Michael Cole and listen to the wonderful Mark Rattledge. It'll be a much better experience for you. So listen to okay, our show while watching the Elimination hyena Chamber. And it's
3: better than Michael Cole.
1: Indeed, um, and always believe in the Shield. Now listen. Uh, so that's the 17th, Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the 401 Ground and Pound radio show. Um, if you head on over to the com, I was just on their podcast with Chris, talking everything in the world of MMA. I got to be the analyst, not the host. It was a wonderful time. So that's the, the Casual Heroes podcast. Um, on the 19th, Robert Cooper and I return to the 401 Music Zone podcast, and this time we enter the church of Mike Patton as we will be reviewing the new Tomahawk album. Yes. Yes. Um, On the 21st is the next Bellator event, which I think I'm covering, unless I planned on doing something else that day. (laughs) Uh, I'm pretty certain I'm covering that one. And then, of course, on 23rd, uh, Women Haters Beware. Ronda Rousey uh, makes her debut against Liz Carmouche. I will be covering it, UFC 157, live coverage on 401mania.com. If you like my vague references to MMA... (laughs) (laughs) And my my, uh, vague descriptions of what's happening in the cage, you'll love my live coverage. It's fantastic. Um, And then we'll be back again on the 26th of February to conclude the Long Road to Ruins uh, presentation of the Paranormal Activity franchise.
3: All right, this has been great, guys.
1: Uh, Really enjoyed it. What was that now? Warning.
2: Adult language. Language. Lots
1: of it. Yeah, this is where uh, where where Sean's going to have a bit of the old, uh, a a little bit of the old um, Tourette's.
3: I'll tell you what. I promise then that I will not swear when I come back and we do three and four. Just to counterbalance him. I promise nothing. Uh, I'll promise (laughs) that you can counterbalance me by going overboard.
1: Oh, yeah. So if that doesn't sell you on the next podcast, I don't know what will. Uh, All right. So that's it. Uh, Join us again um, on the 26th of February for the glorious conclusion of this. Until then, here's Robert Winfrey. That is Sean Comer. I am the Mandate Reporter Mark Radelich, and this has been The Long Road to Ruin. Until then, be well, be safe, and uh, behave.